my friends, and welcome to the Experience Our Industry podcast. I am super excited about this one. One of my favorite people on the planet uh, we, I get to talk to today, um, someone who you guys are all familiar, or most of you are familiar with, if you um, have been in our program in the last, like, what is it, uh, seven, eight years or so, uh, Jen Prentice is with me today. Hi, Jen. How are you? Hey, I am great. I do feel a little bit of pressure. That was quite a, a setup. So I'm super excited about this. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. And I've, I've said before, and um, all the faculty um, and staff and all of our advisory council have heard this, that I, I would eventually like um, everyone who's been on the advisory council and all of our faculty and staff to come on the podcast because I just think it's so important um, for people to hear your backstory and to hear um, what you've, um, you know, what you've experienced, what you're, what you're living, and and uh, yeah, I just, I just love it. And and for me, I, I just, I just want to talk to you because, like I said, you're one of my favorite people, and we're so lucky. We've been so lucky over the last um, eight years to have you as as one of our um, primary lecturers in the department, and um, and Jen has taught a number of things. Um, she's currently teaching um, experiential marketing. Um, that's been one of her main classes, and then you're also teaching uh, customer is it customer service, customer experience? Now, what is the, what is the title of that course, Jen? Yes, it's RPTA two twenty one, and the official title is professionalism and customer experience. That's what I thought: professionalism and customer experience. Um, so um, I'm glad I was so prepared and uh, looked up looked that up and knew about. I, I knew you'd come through with it. So uh, <laughs> sure, sure. So, yeah, we're gonna so we're gonna talk about you know this is a little bit different than um, than the ones that that I have with with alumni because you know with alumni we can talk about their path through Cal Poly and that sort of thing but um you know we're gonna talk to talk to you about your path to get to Cal Poly and to become one of our our um, esteemed lecturers and and you know we we do have um, some we are so lucky I mean over the years we've been so lucky to have such amazing um, faculty and 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 lectures in particular um, you, you guys uh, you guys keep us uh, on our toes and uh and I just love that. So let's talk about where 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 are you from originally, Jen? Remind me. That's a great question. I say that I'm from Richmond, Virginia, but I actually was born in the Appalachian Mountains in Maryland, Western oh. Maryland, where it gets super teeny and you can be in Pennsylvania in 15 oh. minutes and West Virginia in 15 minutes. Yeah, I was gonna say because you know I um I, I know quite a bit about the Appalachian Mountains and um and I, you know, I did a hundred miles on the AT on the Appalachian Trail. And so I did a lot of studying of the trail. And um, I honestly did not know it even went through Maryland. I don't think the trail goes through Maryland, but the mountains do. Is that what it is? That's what it is. The trail does wow. not, but the mountains do. And wow. so I lived there until I was in sixth grade. Mm. And then my parents moved to Richmond, Virginia. And, you know, when you think about pivotal moments or decisions in your life. I think my dad accepting a new position in a bigger city was a really pivotal moment in my life. And I, I don't think that I would be at Cal Poly mm. if my parents hadn't done that. Right. Right. Because you, you might not, you might not have running water still um, up in the Honestly, Appalachian mountains of Maryland. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, you know, we walked uphill both ways with no shoes. There. Right. Of course so. you did. Of course you did. And then you, you went to the, to the big city of Richmond where you were able to, uh, to, uh, on the, have the cabana by the river and you sit, sat in the veranda and uh, drinking iced tea. <laughs> Look, we have torn down most of those monuments, Brian. So. No, I know. <laughs> Which is good. That oh, is no. good I wasn't thing. trying to. Uh, I wasn't trying to insinuate uh, monuments. I just love that. Um, I love that Richmond accent. That Jane, the James River, um, and that uh, I love that uh, that accent because you know my my um, my dad who. Um, uh, moved to Richmond um and and um and, and lived in Richmond for a number of years. I think I don't know that we've ever talked about that. Have we No, I that? actually did not know that. I knew the oh. North Carolina connection, but yeah. I did not know the Richmond connection. Well, well, Jen, I quite honestly I have such a bad memory that I was like, oh my goodness, have we talked about Richmond before? And um, and so I was <laughs> that was kind of an easing into uh, me not remembering whether we have or not. But, yeah, my dad, my dad lived in um, Midlothian in uh, the Brander Mill. Uh, is that where you lived? No, but I you literally know, know exactly. My uh, boyfriend in high school lived in Brander Mill. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've actually I, I don't think I have ever talked to anyone who lives who lived for any amount of time in the Richmond area that didn't know Brander Mill because it was like the big suburban development that like in the 90 or late eighties and nineties, like really would just got huge. Yeah. And so, and then they put Woodlake. Yeah, exactly. Even farther. Mill. Yep, exactly. They sure did. I remember that as well. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I didn't go up there that often, but you know, three or four times a year for holidays and, and whatever. And so, uh, yeah, that's wild. That's wild. And then, you know, we of course have the connection with North Carolina with you. Um, uh, Jen and I actually crossed paths. We didn't realize that we crossed paths, but, um, I left, um, Drusha and I, left NC State um, in 2006. So Drusha graduated in 2006. And you were there at the time getting your, your master's degree at NC State, right? So we, yes. yeah, so we technically crossed paths. We didn't know each other then, but um, so let, let's talk about that, right? So your, um, your education, I think is really interesting. Um, uh, not many people who listen to this, um, who are our current or former students will have probably heard of Campbell University, but I know Campbell very well, obviously, as a North Carolinian myself. What uh, what took you to Campbell? Well, that gets back to my parents moving to Richmond, Virginia. I grew up mm. in private Christian school my whole life, and there were a couple different options that they gave us at this private Christian school, and ah. Campbell University was one of those options, and I got a pretty significant scholarship to go there. Oh, awesome. Okay. Yes. Cool. Well, it was Campbell, a, or well, it was awesome. Right. Well, and for those who don't know, Campbell is a really well-respected um private school there in North Carolina and um and and pretty close to NC State. I mean, pretty close to the Raleigh area, which is um what what is how far is Campbell from Raleigh? Now, About 45 minutes. I thought it was yeah, I thought it was less than an hour, yeah. So, uh, but but let's talk more about growing up. Sorry, I jumped to college years without talking a little bit more about growing up. What did your parents do when you were growing up? My dad worked for the equivalent of Dunder Mifflin. 
Ah. for almost 40 years. No way. Yes. He, he was Michael Scott company. before Michael Scott. He really was. He's he like he actually likes to liken his environment to the office space movie. Ah, right. I got you. <laughs> but if Dunder Mifflin were in office space. So he uh-huh. worked for a paper company for years. Mm-hmm. And because the internet has killed the paper industry, mm-hmm. my parents have excuse me, my parents have moved quite a bit. And when I was in sixth grade, they moved from Maryland to Virginia. And I ended up in Richmond, went to school in Richmond. So I went to private school in Richmond and they really encouraged us to apply to other private schools. Mm. And Campbell was kind of the top uh, school on my list because it was so well-respected. Right. Um, My mom worked at the school that we went to. And so Uh she was pushing for, you know, Mm -hmm. the same colleges and universities that everyone in the guidance counselor's office was pushing for. And, you know, you can't say no to such a a huge scholarship. And I thought whenever I was in high school, I thought that I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. I wanted to be Katie Kirk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and 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 your, I mean, all of your, all of your schooling, right, is is communication oriented, um, and uh, uh, in some way, shape, or form, right? I mean, your your undergrad degree was in communications. Yep, undergrad was in communication. Masters is in organizational communication, which is like an MBA without the math. Right. And <laughs> I had, you know, yep. I had watched uh, the Today Show growing up pretty much every single morning that was on in our house when we were getting ready for school. And I would look at Katie Couric and think that looks like the coolest job ever. Uh So I went to Campbell, started as a mass comm major, Mm -hmm. very quickly realized from starting as a mass comm major and doing internships that not everyone starts off making a million dollars with <laughs> like Katie Couric, right? <laughs> <laughs> you might you might have to go to Jackson, Mississippi, and be the weather uh, person for <laughs> a couple of years, right? I was in Escanaba, Michigan, for an internship, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, for an oh internship my goodness. at one oh point. Oh my goodness, that's the other that's the other end from Jackson, Mississippi. I might have to work that in. Uh, say it again, Escanaba, Michigan. Escanaba, Michigan. Wow. Wow. So it's in the UP, the upper peninsula of Michigan. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard some stories about the UP. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can tell you some stories. Yeah. The mosquitoes, the mosquitoes will uh, pick you up and take you away up there. Won't they? The mosquitoes, the snow, the ice, the hail, the wind, everything. (laughs) It'll all pick you up and carry you away. Yeah. Year year round. There's something to deal with there in uh, Escanaba, huh? Totally. Uh, So, but getting back to your original question, you know, growing up, my parents were really invested in figuring out what my brother and I liked to do, what we were passionate about and helping cultivate that. And for me, it was super easy. Like I said, I just knew from very early on what I thought I wanted to do. So I went to college to try to do that. And once I got to Campbell, though, it was a a bit of a a different story. Um, College was a really, it was a really pivotal time for me. Uh And I think that's why now I'm so passionate about teaching college students and working with 20 somethings because college was so hard for me. Uh-huh. I got you. I got you. And so 
Um, we're we're gonna we'll, we'll get to to um, to what you're doing now. In addition, obviously, to teaching, um, I think um, I really want to talk about um, about the your your influence there, and and you you've met so much to so many of our students over the over the last eight years and beyond. And so uh, I, I'm excited to get to that point. But let, let's talk a little bit more about that path in terms of um, coming out of Campbell and um, and uh, and what you did, um, you know, in between. So what would it tell, tell me what you did in between Campbell and getting your master's degree? Well, I did nothing. Did go so straight. to go, go straight. I went straight. And honestly, while I was at Campbell, um, I had an amazing professor named Dean Farmer, who's actually a graduate of NC State. He got his PhD in communication at NC State. Okay. So I had an amazing, amazing professor and mentor named uh, Dr. Farmer. Shout out to Dr. Farmer, who I'm still in touch with to this day. Awesome. Awesome. That name sounds familiar. Dean Farmer. Huh? Okay. I think he is the associate dean of the communication department at Campbell now. Okay. Um, well, may, maybe I'm just, um, th- I mean, it, it, it would be more fitting if he was dean of our college. That's right. That's right. That's right. Dean, 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 Dean the Farmer. Dean. Dean Farmer. Dean, Dean, yeah. Dean Farmer. Yeah. That's right. College of Ag. College of Ag. So right. Dr. Farmer, very much encouraged me to do internships, Uh to take jobs while I was in college, to do anything that I could do to volunteer, to truly understand what it would look like Mm -hmm. to have a career in broadcasting. And I think that for any students who are listening right now, that is something that I always encourage students who come through my classroom. But if you don't come through my classroom, I cannot encourage you enough to volunteer. You know, we have our thousand hours of volunteer service that all the students in the EIM department have to do. And that is so beneficial because you will learn more from observing Mm -hmm. what other people in an industry or in a job that you think you want one day observing what they're doing. And then you'll learn the most from getting out there and actually getting your hands dirty Mm-hmm. Uh, Department of Ag, you know, getting in the <laughs> getting right. in the dirt, but That's actually right. getting in there and doing the work, and it will really quickly help you realize what you like, what you don't like, what you're good at, and if you can see yourself doing that job mm-hmm. for the rest of your life, or maybe not the rest of your life, because I don't know that anyone right. except my dad stays at the same job for their entire life. Right, right. 40 but years. For the, right. Yeah. For the foreseeable yeah. future. And so I quickly realized that I didn't want to be a broadcast journalist. And Dr. Farmer said, you still love communication though. And you still love uh-huh. that subject matter. You still love talking in front of people. Right. So why don't you pursue a career as a college professor uh-huh. in communication? Uh-huh. So that was really the path that I went down starting about my junior year of college. Uh-huh. And when I graduated from Campbell, I graduated about six months early. Uh-huh. I got a job as a magazine editor. Yeah. yeah. I stayed in the Raleigh area, got a job as a magazine editor for a city regional publication. And if you know anything about the magazine industry, you know that often editors are doing more, especially for small city regional publications, they are doing more than just editing. So, right. Yeah. They're the face and they're going out and doing all kinds of stuff, events and and everything else. Right. Yeah. 
So I planned the Raleigh International Spy Conference for two years in a row. No way. That was the first event that I ever planned. And I planned it as a magazine editor. Right. We'll learn by doing doing there. (laughs) Absolutely. And my boss came to me and he said, hey, can you do this? And you know what? My first thought was like, no, but I didn't have a choice. And so right. that's another thing that I think I would, you know. <laughs> All right. No, I know. I'm, I'm just editing. I'm just editing. Right. Right. Well, we'll go find someone else then. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sure. I, and, that, and that's a good lesson in and of itself. Right. Like, um, because I, I've had, uh, I think a lot of us have had moments like that where it's like, well, can you do this? And if the answer is no, well, you know, okay, but you're missing out on an opportunity and, um, <laughs> you know, it's going to pass you by if you say no too often. So that's a good, that's good advice there. Yeah. Um, so, so tell us, tell us more about that, that experience. Did that, did that end up, um, is that where you got your initial experience in the events world? Yeah, I was 21. I went to, I ended up going to college when I was 17 because went to kindergarten when I was four, all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff. Age laws were different back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I graduated college when I was 21. So I was 21, had my first job right. out of college and I, I wasn't going to say no right. to what my boss was asking me to do, but I also definitely felt, um, underqualified to do this. Right. So I think my biggest recommendation to any student, any recent graduate, any older adult. Heck, I find myself in situations where I still feel underqualified to do the job that I'm doing. And my biggest recommendation is to be proactive, Mm -hmm. do the research, Mm -hmm. ask the questions, Mm -hmm. go find people who know more than you know, and see what they're doing and how they're doing it and learn from them. And, and also in some ways, don't be afraid to make mistakes because right. I made a lot of mistakes planning those spy conferences, man. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but I also learned a lot yeah. and I learned that I actually liked the events world right. and it was fun. You got to engage with a wide range of people. You got to create an experience that was so memorable for the people who were attending. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, you know, we always talk about that event high. Right. Right. Yeah. So I loved that event high. And I decided that if I got the opportunity to continue to plan events, you know, I didn't know what that was going to look like because at this point I was still planning to start North Carolina state in the fall pursue my master's degree and then go on to get my PhD. But I thought if I get the opportunity to continue to plan more events, I'm going to do this because this is really fun for me. Right. Right. It was something you were enjoying. Yeah. So, so you continued with the editor position with Metro magazine while you were getting your master's degree. Is that right? And, um, and uh, so that's a, that's a lesson in and of itself with time management and all of those things. I'm sure that, that when you're, um, when you're working with um, young professionals in in your current position, um, I'm sure that that's something that you can kind of draw on. And, uh, you know, I I actually have a a similar experience, you know, when I was, um, when I was hired in in campus recreation, I was hired um, and in a time limited position where they said, you have to finish your master's degree this year. 
And if you don't finish it, you'll lose your job. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, you learn time management pretty uh, quickly there when you're doing that, <laughs> when you're doing those sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. I was working at Metro Magazine as a magazine editor. I was going to grad school full time. And then I was also a, a grad assistant. I was a teaching assistant. I was going to so, say, yeah, it looked like you were started teaching then at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So my first year of grad school, I was just, you know, doing the grunt work, grading the papers and helping out with research where professors needed and stuff. But my second year of grad school, I started teaching public speaking to freshmen at North Carolina State. Right. And you want to talk about something that I also didn't feel qualified to do. I was 22 (laughs) years old teaching college freshmen public speaking. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm sure they loved it. I'm sure they were like, oh, this is awesome. It was a lot of fun. But as far as time management is concerned, I do think that I did not realize um, how much time I had Mm -hmm. as a 22-year-old who was relatively, you know, uncommitted to a significant other or, you know, didn't have children yet. And so Mm -hmm. I actually wish that I would have spent more time cultivating some of those, um, you know, daily habits, I Mm -hmm. think, Um, learning better time management skills, focusing more on myself and understanding who I was and really what I wanted out of the world more. So Mm -hmm. I think in terms of a student's, you know, who are in our department, when they come through my professionalism class, one of the things that I always try to talk to them about is like, Hey, let's figure out what your actual schedule is this quarter. Mm -hmm. Look at where you want to be at the end of the quarter and try to make those two things align. Like how can you set your schedule up in such a way that you will achieve the goals that you want to achieve by the end of the quarter? Because now is the time in college to start cultivating those good habits. Yeah. And that's not something that I necessarily realized at the time. I think I was just in reactionary mode, like, okay, yeah. I got to grade papers. I got to get this article out. I got to plan this event. Yeah. So. Right. Right. Yeah. And I'm still trying to learn some of that stuff too, <laughs> but that's another story entirely. So let's talk about what led you out to California, you know, so uh, all this time back East and then all of a sudden, wham, bam, next thing you know, you're out in California. California. What happened there? Well, it starts as all good stories start. I met a guy. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I thought it might, but I wasn't sure. (laughs) Yeah. So I graduated in 2007 from NC State and I ended up taking a year off Mm -hmm. after my master's degree, mostly because I was burnout Mm -hmm. and I had worked a ton. Yeah, you were doing a lot. I can imagine. I was doing a lot. So I ended up taking a year off. NC State had hired me back to teach as a lecturer. So I was still continuing to teach public speaking at NC State. And then I was still working as a magazine editor. So I thought, I'll take a year off. I'll keep doing both of these things. Um, I was still writing for the magazine and planning events. I also Uh planned something called the Mannequin Bowl. Oh, wow which was a big fashion event that they had at the North Carolina uh, Museum of Art. Yeah. So, you know, I was building my skill set in different ways. And I thought, Mm -hmm. well, all of this is going to, you know, help me in the future. But I took that year off and one of my really good friends um, in North Carolina ended up dating and is now married to this guy from San Luis Obispo, California. Yeah. And he went to Cal Poly and decided while he was at Cal Poly that he wanted to move across the country and meet a Southern girl. 
And <laughs> that was his goal. Huh? That was his goal. And he did it. And so in the process of my friend Susan meeting and marrying this guy, they also, uh, my friend Susan also met my husband, Russ, uh-huh. who was her husband, Ryan's college roommate. I know this all sounds really complicated, but the bottom line is I was introduced to my husband through mutual friends. While he was still living out here, my husband, Russ, went to Cal Poly. He got his master's in mechanical engineering. Uh He was living and working out here um, in Grover Beach, California, Uh had a house out in Grover Beach, California. Right. And through phone and email and Facebook, we connected. Uh He flew out to meet me. And a month later, I decided I was going to move to California. No way. Wow. What a romance. That's awesome. That's a cool story. I love that. Um, and uh, wow. And the rest is history, so to speak. Right. And so, um, you know, I'm really interested, Jen, in this um, in this element of, you know, I know you started um, uh, a couple of years later. I know you started as a lecturer at Allen Hancock. Right. And teaching um, public speaking, small group communication and cultural communication, which um, which obviously has some relevance to what we do and what we and 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 what you're now teaching and, and doing um, and have been for the last eight years with us. But I'm curious about like that connection and that like how did you meet Dr. Hendricks? How did all that come about? Because I just remember and as you're telling the story about um uh becoming a a lecturer at NC State, I started thinking to myself, I'm like, she was, you know, you said I wasn't really qualified to teach public speaking at NC State. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but you're just impressive. (laughs) Interpersonally speaking, you're just impressive. Like when people meet you, they're drawn to you, your personality, and you, you come across as not only, um, genuine and friendly and and fun to to be around but just and but also professional and someone who knows what they're doing right and so um so i wonder if you can talk about that process of like teaching at alan hancock and then meeting dr Hendricks and how all that came about well first of all thank you that's very very sweet and i received that compliment and i really appreciate it that's very sweet uh, the process came about because when I moved out to California, I actually moved to Sacramento first. I worked for a nonprofit water agency as an executive assistant, but I wasn't just an executive assistant who worked with low flush toilets. I also planned all of their corporate uh, board meetings. So I was planning corporate board meetings for the 11 largest water agencies throughout the state of California. So LA Department of Water and Power, San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, San Diego Water and Power. All of those uh, CEOs and directors would meet up every month. Right. So that's where you were building your events experience also. Ah, right. So Exactly. Once uh, the economy crashed in 2008, Mm -hmm. my husband thought he was going to move to Sacramento, realized that he was actually going to stay in San Luis Obispo. Um, got a job working out at Diablo. And so I decided that we were just engaged at the time. And I decided, well, we should probably live in the same city. So (laughs) I moved to uh, San Luis Obispo and got a job doing marketing. At the time when I started, it was traditional marketing, but I actually transitioned 
this marketing department for a small tech company in San Luis Obispo from traditional marketing to experiential marketing. Right. So that is kind of the tie-in with the marketing classes, the marketing class that I teach for the EIM department. While I was working for this tech company, my boss at the tech company, he was a very eccentric guy. Okay. And you kind of had to go down whatever rabbit hole he wanted to go down. Uh And one day he decided that the rabbit hole he wanted to go down was for our company to plan, execute, and sponsor the TEDx San Luis Obispo conference. Oh, right, right, right. I knew there was, um, okay, yeah, I knew there was some part of that. Yeah, that that's right. So again, I had never planned a huge conference right. at a big, you know, performing arts center like the PAC <laughs> before. <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. I had done the SPY conference, which was about, you know, 300 people. And I had done this right. fashion event, which was about 300 people and planned these board meetings. So I thought, okay, sure. I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it it out. Let's do it. Um, So I planned and executed along with two other people at the company that I was working for, the tech company that I was working for. We planned and executed. I think it was the second TEDx San Luis Obispo conference held at Cal Poly. Mm -hmm. Um, The first one I think was in the very early 2000s. And the TEDx San Luis Obispo conference that I planned was in 2012. Ah. That is how I met uh, Dr. Bill Hendricks. Yeah. So you were recruiting some of our students there? Actually, no, no, I was not. I just happened to be in a meeting where, I don't know if you remember Brian TG, who- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brian TG was the MC of TEDx San Luis Obispo. And oh. he thought that maybe this was something- that Dr. Hendricks and students in the EIM department might want to get involved in. And the timing just kind of didn't align. Right. But I saw whenever I met with Dr. Hendricks and Dr. TG, I saw that there was actually a full-time position available Uh at Cal Poly. It was actually, you guys were hiring for Dr. Lin's job at the time. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. And so it's so wild because this morning when I was like searching your LinkedIn or or this afternoon when I was searching your LinkedIn, because I always like to pull up people's LinkedIn so I can kind of uh, help me with questions. Brian TG's name kind of pop, popped up there. And th- so that was really odd. I was like, why did his name pop up? Um, so that's wild. That, uh, so there's there's the connection there somehow. <laughs> I, don't, I still don't know why his name popped up in the LinkedIn search, but uh, maybe it's because th- it's a mutual connection or whatever. But um, okay, so that's wild. Um, and do you, um, so wh- how did the Alan Hancock thing, because uh, you, were you, how did that mix in? Well, When I moved out to San Luis Obispo, I knew that I wanted to get back into teaching. I had taken a break to go move to Sacramento. I kind of just took whatever job I could find in Sacramento, whatever job would get me out to California. Right. Because I wanted to be close to my now husband. Right. Um, And once I moved back to San Luis Obispo, I actually, my goal was always to get my foot in the door at Cal Poly. I thought I want to get back into teaching at the university level. My goal was always to get my foot in the door at Cal Poly, but I ended up through a mutual friend here um, in San Luis Obispo meeting the woman who was at the time the dean of the communication department 
at Allen Hancock yeah. College. Gotcha. So gotcha. I started teaching at Hancock College. Really, I have nothing but great things to say about teaching at Hancock. Yeah. Um, this was before I had children. I was teaching at Hancock and I was working for the tech company. So I have a long history of doing multiple jobs and doing two much. Say, yeah, doing so, yeah, right, right, right. I it's a real it. do as I say, not as I do thing. Uh-huh. Right. Um, of course. So once I had my oldest son, Holden, who is now going to be nine in two yes. weeks, which is crazy, I crazy. left the job at Hancock because I was transitioning uh, the marketing department at this tech company from okay. traditional to experiential marketing. Yeah. And I was doing events again. And you know, we were going to New York City to do trade shows at the Jacob Javits Center. And right. that was really fun for me to do that. So of I course. thought, okay, I think I'm going to shift my focus, stay on the event side of things, stay on the marketing side of things. And mm-hmm. I left the teaching position at Hancock College. Gotcha. What I realized once I started doing trade shows and events again, and I had a child, was that it wasn't necessarily that conducive to having a family right. and traveling all the time to do right. these trade shows. Um, so that's why I wanted to get my foot back in the door with teaching. When I planned the TEDx San Luis Obispo conference at Cal Poly, we ended up having, I think, close to 800 people came to that TEDx San Luis Obispo conference in 2012. Wow! And um, Dr. Hendricks and I had met at one of the planning meetings. Mm -hmm. You guys were hiring for Dr. Lynn's job. And I said to him, Hey, I know you're hiring for a full-time position. Any chance you would make that a full-time lecturer position if you don't get someone Mm -hmm. in there. And that was Here's one thing I will say about that. That was extremely naive of me because I was not fully wise to the ways in which academia hires and the way that, you know, you guys hire for things, things that I know now. But the other thing that I will say is that if I hadn't asked that question, Dr. Hendricks would never have known that I was interested in teaching. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. So while you might not have been, it was still, I think, probably a good question. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree with that. Because I I remember from the jump, um, Dr. Hendricks just saying, hey, I met met this amazing woman who I think would be fabulous as a lecturer. And, um, and, you know, so, uh, yeah, the the rest is history, so to speak. So tell us, like, um, you, um, I don't think you started out teaching um, experiential marketing right away, right? We didn't have experiential marketing at that time. And, uh, um, but, uh, uh, what, tell us what you what you taught initially and um, and what you've taught since. Initially, I taught RPTA 317, Convention and Meeting Management. Okay. It was a night class. You guys had uh, a position open because you had had a lecturer leave kind of last minute. Right. And Dr. Hendricks remembered that I was interested in teaching and he got my contact info from Dr. TG and it was honestly, just right place, right time. I mean, I think just a total blessing. I say to people all the time that working at Cal Poly, working in the EIM department and with all of you is hands down the best job that I have ever had. And as you can tell, I've had a lot of jobs. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, we feel the same way. And like I said, at the very beginning, uh, we feel so lucky and um, to to have you and just that the you know, the, the influence that you've had on our students and, and that, that means, um, that, that means so much. And, you know, there, there's, um, there, there's 
obviously we have some amazing lecturers and and in Sturm and, and and Jamie and Amber and and um and uh and and all of our lectures over the years have just been amazing but um you know you you um you stand out in in terms of of making that impact and um and so uh so let's talk about let's talk a little bit about that i mean i know that you um i know that like like most of us Californians, you have a side, you have a side hustle going on, you know, you gotta, gotta have your side hustle. And, um, and so you've done a couple of things, you know, you've helped us, um, and, and run the auction and dinner for what was that three years, four years, three or four? I did it for three years, three years. Yeah. Before, before Amber. And then, and then also you're, you're building your own consulting, um, business on the side and, and coaching business on the side. So tell us a little bit about, what that's been like in the in the process of also growing a, as a as a, a young mother and um, balancing all of those things. Those are such uh, such tough things to to balance. And so uh, I wonder if you can speak about that. Well, I don't really think that there's any such thing as balance. I think that it right. is just knowing which way to tip the scales at any given time. That's uh -huh. what I like to say. Uh huh. Like uh, so yeah, I think for me teaching and making sure that I just show up for the students who come through my classroom. That is, has always been, and will always be my number one priority. Um, and showing up for them means making sure that they are learning about the subject matter, but it also means making sure that I'm there for them. If they want me to be, I'm not going to, you know, right. force myself on them as a mentor, but if they want me to be there for them, at what is a really pivotal time yeah. in people's lives, you know, whether you are um, leaving home for the first time as a freshman in college or you're transferring in from another university or a community college, like college is all about change. It's about figuring out who you are, discovering how you operate in the world and figuring out where you want to be mm -hmm. post-graduation. And so... Yeah. When I am looking at these students who come through my classroom, I've always thought, man, I want to be there for more than just the kids who come through my classroom. I want to be able to be there for other 20-somethings too. And so mm -hmm. a couple years ago, I did uh, launch a little side hustle consulting business to help coach 20-somethings. But honestly, over the pandemic, what I realized, Brian, is that I don't want to do that and get paid for it. It is so yeah. much more fun for me. Right. I mean, I would never charge Cal Poly students for it, but even other 20 somethings who don't go to Cal Poly, it's so much more fun for me to do it whenever there's not a monetary return on that. Mm, um, it places a lot of weird pressure on mm -hmm. me and the 20 something that I'm coaching whenever there's money linked to it. I got so you. over COVID, I actually did um, just some book clubs okay. with some Cal Poly students and then some other mm -hmm. 20 somethings who I knew here in the area or friends mm -hmm. of Cal Poly students or friends of uh -huh. kids here in the area. And we read through Meg Jay's The Defining Decade. Huh. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with this, not, but Meg J is a psychologist at the University of Virginia. So okay. Virginia connection. Yeah, right. And she um, gave a TED talk on why 20 is not the, or excuse me, why 30 is not the new 20. Uh, 
basically talking about the importance of your 20s and building your identity capital, getting to know yourself, building your career uh-huh. in your 20s, not looking at them as a time to just like coast through life. Right. So when in my classes at Cal Poly, we usually always watch her TED Talk. Ah, oh, cool. Because it's such a great TED Talk. And then over COVID, I did some book clubs for... Um, Cal Poly students or other 20-somethings, and we read through Meg Jay's The Defining Decade. So that is really like what I love doing is just mentoring college students, helping them figure out what their next step is, whether that's what their next step next week is or what their next step post-graduation is. It's something that I'm really, really, really passionate about. But as I've figured out, you know, we do with most side hustles, you try them, you figure out what works and what doesn't. And Yeah, It was a little too much to try to do it as a business. It was yeah. just something that I loved doing because I'm passionate yeah. about it. Yeah, I hear you. And I um, I, I think that probably um, is a, um, a great marker um, for, I think I would, I think I would feel the same way as you, right? You know, when I think about it and when I, when I say I, I, where I was going with the marker is that that probably speaks to, to what an amazing person you are. And, 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 um, because I think I would feel that same thing, like, Oh, I don't know. I just don't know that I feel comfortable taking money or, or accepting money. And, and I, and, and I, I, I don't know, I guess maybe that, that maybe that's a, Maybe that's a character strength. Maybe that's a character flaw. I don't know. But uh, when I was in a sales position, Jen, I I failed miserably in sales because I would make the re- I would I was great at like building the relationship, right? Right up until the time where they had to ha- hand me money, and then when they had to hand me money, I got like so like weirdly nervous that like my sweaty palms as they were putting the money in my hands would make them feel like, Oh God, what is going on? Like, what if, are you, are you trying to scam me? <laughs> because I was so, I could not handle the like monetary exchange, you know? <laughs> True story. When I was working for the tech company in San Luis Obispo, they launched a sales team to like sell this online tech help support that they had. And they put me in sales for about three months. Uh Exact same thing happened. I truly did not believe that like the product that I was selling was beneficial to these people. And so I could never close the deal. (laughs) I could never close the deal. Right. But I think to your point, Brian, like at the end of the day, and this is something that I, this is one of the reasons that I love teaching in the EIM department so much is because all of the professors and the students tell me this all the time that every single professor, lecturer, every class that they've had in the EIM department all of you, and I'll include myself in this, like we all genuinely care Mm -hmm. about building a relationship with the students and putting them first and doing what is best for their education and best for them long-term. And I think that when I think about the jobs that I've had or my career in general, like at the end of the day, I just want to be able to say that I like loved and supported and did the best that I could for mm-hmm. the people that I worked for, the people mm-hmm. that I worked with, and then anyone yeah. else that I interacted with. And I truly think that if, whether you are a professor, whether you're a student, whatever job you get placed in, if you approach your job 
or whatever you're tasked with doing with that mindset. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think that that will benefit you mm-hmm. tenfold. Like that'll come back to you tenfold. I see a lot of um, students worried that like, oh, you know, well, if so-and-so gets this internship or if so-and-so gets this job, that there's not going to be enough for me. There won't be a job for me. There won't be an internship for me. And what I've tried to encourage the students who come through my classroom to remember is like, I truly believe that there will always be a position for people who do quality work and seek to put the people that they interact with and that they worked with and that they work with first. Right. Like, I just believe that at the end of the day. Yeah, very, very good point. And, um, you know, to speak to that other aspect that, that you mentioned about um, our our faculty genuinely caring for for students, you know, I um, my, er, very early in my career, I, I had a, um, a senior a senior faculty member who uh, it's not anyone that anyone would know um, say to me, your problem is that you want students to be your friends. Um, and I was like, I was really like taken aback by that. And I like, you know, obviously I I didn't challenge him on that at the time. I I just kind of nodded and accepted it. And then I went home and seethed over it, you know, and, and, um, you know, and I remember saying to Jerusha, like, that's, that's that old school authoritative type mentality, um, and what he doesn't understand is no, I don't want the students to be my friends. I want them to know that I care and that I think, and that, that I have mutual respect for them. And that, that I think that more than anything is like the new model of what being a, a good educator is like. And, and I have to admit, Jen, I mean, I, I look to, I look to people like you and 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 Amber and you know and 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 Sturm and and um all all of the, our our faculty. Uh, sorry, I just mentioned all the lectures, but um, you know all of our faculty as um as being better at it than I am, right? Because I have all of these like authoritative things in my past that I have to like break down in order to get to that being that caring educator that I want to be. Right. And, and so sometimes I find myself like grappling with that within the classroom or within my interactions with students when um, really I, I do, I do think that that what you just said is, is the most valuable. And I mean, especially, you know, I think this did hopefully, um, the pandemic, um, if nothing else, helped us to understand that so many people that we're all struggling in one way, shape, or another, and that maybe we can be more empathic in 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 what we're we're doing. And um, I, I don't know. I, I would do. Do you want to reflect on that? Yeah, I would love to talk about that for a minute. I think that there's a line, and you know, you talked about how you have to unpack some of the authoritarian structures in your past. I think where I can tend to go too far the other way is being too lenient or too much like, Oh, Mm -hmm. it's okay. You know, but you're right. COVID and the last year and a half have shown us that like, we are all struggling. And the sooner that you can look at someone and say, Hey, like, 
I don't know what their lived experience is. Right. And I'm going to have grace for whatever it is they seem to be like projecting onto me, whether that's a coworker, whether that's a teacher onto a student, whether that's a student onto a teacher. Like generally what I've found is that if I have a negative interaction with someone, that interaction is not about me and my relationship with them. That interaction is about something that has happened to them earlier that day, something that's going on in their personal life, something that they got triggered by because it was a result of something in their past. And I think that the more, you know, as faculty members, we can lead with not to overuse the word vulnerability. I love Brene Brown. I love everything she does, but (laughs) I do think she has made the word vulnerability, like this easy word that we can throw around, but the more that we can, you know, lead with authenticity and vulnerability and say, Hey, I get that life is hard right now. Life is also hard for me too. In my professionalism and customer experience class this quarter, I'll give you an example. Um, These past couple months for my family personally have been really difficult. Um, And I was able to share some of those things with my professionalism and customer experience class because I felt like they needed to see how to deal with difficult personal issues in a professional way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think while we need to give people grace and we need to say, Hey, you're struggling, like take a break. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can, if it's a student teacher relationship, yes, you can have an extension on that deadline. Mm -hmm. I also think that we need to, um, learn how to persevere Mm -hmm. in some ways. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to, and I'm not sure I did the best job of this in 221. We'll see how those student, uh, you know, assessments and reviews come out, the the faculty review come out. I'm sure they're great. Like always. I don't know. I wanted to show them though, that like you can walk through really hard stuff personally. You can take some time for yourself. There were a lot of times where, you know, I try to get my grades back within a week of an assignment. And there were a couple of times where I said, Hey guys, like these grades, I'm not going to get them back to you for another week. Like I just, I need a little extra time to get this stuff graded. But I feel like I showed up to class every day prepared to give them the education that they deserved. And so I wanted to model that. And I think Mm -hmm. that that is our job as faculty, or if you're not in a a teaching position, you know, if you're working in industry, that's your job as someone who is a little bit ahead Mm -hmm. of the intern, as someone who's a little bit ahead of the new hire Mm -hmm. to show them how to walk out their personal and professional lives and balance, if we want to use that word, balance the hard things with grace and vulnerability and being able to move forward. And I think that that is something that I was fortunate to have when I was in college, you know, some of my professors or other mentors in college showed me that. And so that's something that I always want to be able to model to the students. Right. Well, I, I think you've I think you've done a exceptional job over the years, and um, the, you know the 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 students who I talk to, who you've had an impact on, um, are 
are vast and, and, um, and a lot of them in, and I know that, I know that you listen to the podcast and, um, I know that a, a number of them have given you shout outs and, and, um, and so that's, that's obviously very cool. And, um, I, I know you, I know you appreciate that, but I think it just, um, speaks to, to that, to that impact, that positive impact that you're having. I wonder if you can reflect on me or reflect on me, reflect with me, um, a bit about, um, you know, the, this, this shift that we've that we've all experienced um, since 2016 with um, experience industry management and um, you know what you see and and you know you you have such an eclectic background with with communication and and with um, you know ending ending up planning and uh, events and building your your skills and events um, through not even really uh, uh, meaning to right and then um, and and then also in the tech world of course like transferring and and shifting um, a company a tech company to experiential I, I think is um, really speaks to your experience um, and and what you've been able to bring to the table with experiential marketing you know I told you that story a few years back of me, speaking to um, an Orfala College of Business um, Association, uh, their marketing association, student marketing association, and none of them had even heard of experiential marketing. And we were teaching a class on it. You were teaching the class on it, you know, and, and, um, you know, so we're we're still pretty cutting edge with experiential marketing. And I, I wonder if you can just speak to, what you see for the future with our department, um, I know that that we very much see you as being a, a, a very key player in moving forward with the Experience Innovation Lab and and with our with our pursuits with experience design, experiential marketing, and all of that. Um, I wonder if you can just speak to what you see as the future of of experiences and and where you think that's headed. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all designing experiences, right? We're designing experiences for ourselves, for our significant other, for our family, for our friends in our careers. We're all designing experiences. But what I think our department does such a great job of and what I think is so beneficial to like getting a degree Mm -hmm. in experience industry management, um, getting you know, even the event planning minor is that we are giving the students these tangible tools. We're giving them a framework for how to do this in obviously, yes, the hospitality, tourism, events world, but the framework that we're giving them, I believe, because I have kids come through my class and they go on and they work for a tech company or they go and they work for a nonprofit and they are able to take these frameworks that we're giving them, whether it's for designing an experience, planning an event, creating a better um, journey through a retail space. They're able to take these frameworks out into the real world and very practically apply them and apply them in a way that is actually going to make a difference Mm -hmm. on the individual consumer level and also make a difference to these companies' bottom lines, Mm -hmm. to these nonprofits, to their fundraising capabilities. Um, One of the projects that my experiential marketing class did this quarter was come up with some ideas for a nonprofit called Immigrant Hope Mm -hmm. for how they can better 
market themselves and what they do to potential donors. And it was so cool to see these students come up with real, very practical, tangible ideas that now my RPTA 420 class is actually going to work on implementing when we plan a fundraiser for Immigrant Hope in the spring. I love it. I love it. That's so great. So I just think that what we are doing is unique too. When I talk to, um, because I do talk to a lot of 20-somethings, when I talk to people who are recent graduates of any university Mm -hmm. and I tell them what I teach, or when I talk to other people who are working in the events industry or people who are working in the tech space and tell them what we're doing, Mm -hmm. they always say to me, I wish that I would have had something like this when I was in college. And you know what? I wish as Jen Prentice that I had something like this when I was in college. (laughs) I I know. Yeah, me too, for sure. And, you know, you reminded that that reminded me as you were talking, I I, I recently was uh, was looking at the uh, LinkedIn profile of of a good friend of mine. And um, and uh, he's he's worked for Nike and um, and he's been in um, he's been in the sports world for for a long time. And and I noticed that he had changed his profile to read experiential expert. And I was like, and so I texted him and I was like, well, you know, now since you've rebranded yourself as experiential expert, you know, I think we need to start talking about how you and I might partner on some things. And, and he was like, well, you know, I've been in the industry for 20 years. And I was like, no, I I know, but you just recently rebranded yourself as experiential expert there, you know, and, uh, and since I am uh, in the, a professor in the world's first ever experience industry management department, right there, we got to talk about some connections. And, but I think that so many, I think it's a good, um, what, what you just said and, and, and the, the example here with my friend is this understanding that, um, everyone in a no matter like like many people have heard me say many times whether a bank a hospital nike uh, a hotel um a a destination um we're all planning we're all co-creating experiences ultimately and um and i i agree wholeheartedly with what you just said i wish i'd had I wish I had had design thinking for my undergrad or for my master's or whatever. And, and that the fact that to be able to, um, to be able to get that as an undergraduate in, in a program like ours, I think is, and to be able to have a mentor like you in, in, um, in the classroom and, and, and beyond, I think is just an incredibly big, um, a big cog in our, our, our wheel that we've got rolling along at full speed here and hopefully, um, getting ready to, to be put into mock speed here soon with the experience innovation lab. And yeah, can I just say really one exciting. thing about yeah, the yeah. lab? Yeah. I would love to say one thing about the lab and yeah. the work that this is not something that I am super involved in yet. I do hope to get more involved in it later, but I am so impressed by the work that you guys as full-time faculty are doing to get our students cutting edge materials, 
cutting edge, uh, you know, technologies, um, get them partnerships, really exciting partnerships with other companies who are doing other cutting edge things. Like the lab itself, I think is going to be a game changer for our department and maybe even for Cal Poly in general. And I would just love to reinforce this to anyone who is listening Mm -hmm. and is curious if you are, you know, if you randomly stumble across this podcast on LinkedIn, right? I hope that you do. Right. Uh, (laughs) That's right. And you are struggling with like how to build a better experience for your customers at the business that you work for. Uh Reach out to Dr. Greenwood here or someone in the EIM department, because we have this little incubator for creating better experiences, more engaging experiences for, like you said, Brian, any type of business. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. You are in the experience industry. And the fact that we have this lab where we're going to be able to test some of these ideas that businesses don't have the bandwidth to Mm -hmm. test out, Mm -hmm. don't have the time, don't have the money, don't have the manpower. We're going to be able to do that for other businesses. And then we're going to be able to give that to our students too, and allow our students to get these really amazing cutting edge quality experiences. Like I don't know another university out there that is doing what we're going to be doing with this lab. And it is so incredibly exciting. And I'm yeah, so impressed it, with the work that you guys are doing. Yeah, well, it, it really is. And I, I appreciate that, that kudos, but I, I'm going to deflect it, uh, you know, to Dr. To Dr. Lynn and, um, and the work that he's doing as the, as the new director of, of our lab and, um, and Dr. Shen, um, who will be, um, who will be instrumental in that. And, um, yeah, the cutting edge stuff. And like you said, it's, it's really, I mean, it's so exciting. And, um, you know, for someone who's 16 years into a career and, um, you know, getting more and more gray in the beard and, and whatnot, it's, um, it's exciting for me to think about the future and to think about the next 15 years of my career, being able to hopefully make an impact along those lines. And I think most importantly with the lab, um, us having the ability to test experiences with this next generation of students and um and 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 because that's that's ultimately um you know that that's that's ultimately what what companies and organizations um are are obviously most interested in is is what this next generation is going to be um is going to be interested in and um you know of course we matter our generation matters too well we'll uh, it won't be just for the next generation but to be able to have access to these to these students who um at cal poly who are the best and the brightest is going to be really awesome and um i just want to thank you so much for for your impact on our students and um and and your impact on our department in such a positive way over the last eight years and uh, i hope we have another uh i hope we have many many more years to come working together and thank you so much for taking the time today hey thank you for having me like i said best job i've ever had i feel so blessed to work with all of you Uh, and to be at cal poly with all of these awesome students thank you awesome thank you see ya see ya